Hello and welcome to this first in our new series of podcasts on the big issues in tax right now. Now as soon as you're here, tax is a topic of interest to you just as much as it is to me. So stay with us. I love tax, but I'll declare my hand. I'm an accountant and tax advisor, but I love it because whether it's the price of breakfast, the cost of a train ticket, the availability of buses and trains, footballers wages, the cost of your place to live, how we save for the future, or how we refurbish the local playground, tax touches everything. But it's a marmite issue. Everybody I ask says everybody else isn't paying enough and everybody else should probably pay a little bit more. There's talk about unfairness in the tax system, who's making the rules for whom. We want in this podcast series to get into the broader debate, to get beyond some of the screaming headlines and get some engagement going on the hot topics of the day. But first, today we're going to have a look at tax policy. How are the rules made? What could we do better? My name is Barry Murphy, a partner here at PwC, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Jill Rutter from the Institute for Government and Kevin Nicholson, our head of tax. Jill, if I turn to you first, the Institute for Government, you've just authored a report on tax policy, making it better, some clear views in there. Do you want to start us off with some of those views? So what we did in our report, which we published with the Chartered Institute of Taxation and the Institute for Fiscal Studies last January, was we set out what we call 10 steps towards better budgets. Um, We're actually quite pleased because the Chancellor, by the time we published, had actually taken the first one, which was to announce that he was moving from effectively two budgets a year back to one. We're going to see that uh, in November with the autumn budget. We set out other mechanisms. What did we hear? We heard a lot of complaints about... uh, just the sheer proliferation of measures made it very difficult to understand what was going on. Uh, lack of strategy, lack of underlying principles, so quite difficult to work out why and how the different measures all hung together. Uh, we were concerned that lots of measures actually make it into the budget, which the Treasury would knock out at first base if they came through as spending measures from departments. There's quite poor parliamentary scrutiny of finance bills. There are these big doorstopper bills that come out every year and actually pretty scant scrutiny of anything except a few headline political measures. No real attempt to evaluate whether the measures that are introduced have the right impact. And interestingly, when you ask officials and parliamentarians why that happens, they usually say because actually they don't last long enough to do a decent evaluation because they're superseded by something else quite quickly, which is another problem in itself. And finally, we said actually... Chancellors find themselves boxed in and we've had a series of budgets that have unravelled really quickly and one of the things we think is quite a big problem is we don't have a very good public debate about tax policy. Uh, as you said, you know, we have screaming headlines, it's all done through that sort of megaphone. It's based on really quite poor understanding of who pays what, how we pay and how we have to pay and we have election after election where people try to duck some of the big tax issues. So we think there's a really good case for actually looking at the very closed way, the sort of you know, Treasury HMRC monopoly on tax and tax policy discussions and saying, can't we actually have a better public discussion about tax? That's a pretty hard-hitting set of views in terms of how we're making policy today. And how, how broad were those views that you took on board in coming up with those views and recommendations? So how broadly held? Pretty broadly held, actually. I mean, the reason we partnered with the CIOT was we wanted to make sure we got the views in of the tax professionals. Institute for Government's interest in more effective government. We're not tax professionals, though, disclaimer, some of us have worked on tax at the Treasury. Um, we also had the IFS, because the IFS, you know, leading independent think tank on that. So they really bring in the economic view. Um, 
what we didn't do is represent the public, but I think when we went out, uh, we found a pretty broad coalition of people supporting those measures. And actually quite a lot of the technical measures Treasury and HMRC themselves support. Some of the other ones, they, uh, they're not quite there yet, so we need to bring them along. Okay, so quite a lot to do, but tax has been around for a long, long time, Jill and Kevin. Kevin, wh why now? Why the focus on the debate on tax and tax policy now? Well, I think there's never been a time when we shouldn't have had that debate, actually. But I'll come back to the, the real why now, which probably links into Brexit. But, you know, Jill's really set out some of the challenges very, very well. Is where All of the discussion is around short-term tax changes, tinkering with the system. And it's kind of understandable why, because politicians have relatively short timescales. There's an election every four or five years, they need to get re-elected. Every policy change that Jill's described has winners and losers, and the losers shout very loudly. So we think, I think, that we need to start looking further ahead and start developing roadmaps around what's the tax system of the future that we really want, and start that thinking now. Because you know, regardless of the next election result, the one after that, or even the result of Brexit, we know we're going to have to raise tens of billions of pounds in the future. So how are we going to do that? You know, if we've got fewer people in full-time employment because of the gig economy or automation, roughly half of the current tax take comes from employment taxes. So how are you going to replace that? As we move to a more greener economy, get rid of petrol cars, diesel cars, who, who's going to replace the 35 billion pounds of, of fuel duty and how are we going to replace that? So I think the thinking has to start now. And the real reason now, I think, very important is that that was a kind of theoretical discussion. The Treasury would say, very interesting, uh, come back next year, come back next year. Now with Brexit, we will have to start developing a tax system for ourselves in the UK so that those decisions, that discussion has become a reality. So some interesting thoughts in there on roadmaps, setting out strategic direction as one of the recommendations here. Has there been any evidence of that working so far? Well, yeah, I mean, pe people always say, well, it's a, it's a bit idealistic, but it, there is actually a real example. So corporate tax reform, which um, Gordon Brown actually kicked off um, when he was chancellor, and the coalition government developed it, added to it. The conservative government continued it with the Britons Open for Business. That was a pretty consistent view around lowering the, the headline rates of corporation tax, encouraging business to the UK. They employed more people who spent more money, and the tax take went up. There was something that actually there was a roadmap, clear roadmap, political parties got behind it, and it broadly worked. I want to actually add in another example, which is tax like but not tax, which is the way we've gone about trying to increase pension savings, which goes back to the establishment of the Turner Commission on Pensions back in the mid-2000s. They did quite a lot of effort, assembled a big evidence base, put that evidence base out there and said, do you agree with us that this is the problem? Then they went out and actually built consensus and built consensus across parties on this might be the solution. So we actually ended up with a policy developed under the Labour government of gradually rolling out automatic enrolment. We're bringing on the smallest employers now um, and actually creating a basis where you could sustain change over a changing government. And actually, if it can work for pensions, which are pretty tax-like, then I think it could work for tax. One of the things that was really interesting when we did a session on the Turner Commission at the Institute for Government was that James Purnell, who'd been one of the Labour ministers then, said what was really interesting about the Turner Commission was something that was unthinkable in the Department of Work and Pensions, where he was a minister, which was raising the state pension age, went from being front page news to something where we've now given it to the former director general of the CBI and regard it 
as a completely technocratic exercise of where do you set the state pension age. So we've actually changed the terms of debate. And I think that's one of the things we need to do on tax. And we can do that by actually thinking of reform as a long-term process, not as something where the window for reform is between one budget and the next, and it's all going to be cooked up inside the Treasury and HMRC. That's a really interesting one on the pensions. And in the beginning, you said in the engagement in your report, the public, you didn't go out for broad consultation. And I'd like to move to that topic now in terms of public engagement. So on one sense, what I hear is the public are locked out of a lot of this. It's a private conversation. I've heard you talk about tax before in that sense. But also some of the U-turns in budgets that we don't like seem to be as a result of public getting involved. So is there enough public engagement? What do we need to do? What's, what's different? What has to happen differently? So I think what we do is we try to do reform, but we do it in a sort of rather cack-handed way. So chancellors are addicted to what they call budget rabbits. So yeah, everybody is debating. The Treasury is briefing before a budget that there's going to be a big rabbit. So we're all on the rabbit watch. Uh, the chancellor brings something out. Inevitably, if it's a rabbit, there hasn't been a huge amount of laying the groundwork. So go back to what I was saying just about Turner. You know, there's no setting out the evidence. Why is this reform needed? Why does this make sense? How does it fit in with wider things? Really interesting discussion. Remember the next change on the self-employed. This is really a bit of a sequencing problem by the Treasury. They made lots of positive changes to the self-employed, but they did it before they made the thing that said, basically, you're now getting very similar benefits to employed people. Is it now time you pay tax a bit more like employed people? So because they lacked a sort of strategic approach that saw this as a comprehensive reform and introduced it in stages in a sensible way, they actually found that one element everybody was focusing on, well, there are a whole bunch of losers here. And as Kevin said, the one thing you know if you're in the Treasury is the gainers just pocket it and say, thanks very much. You know, that's fine. Move on. The losers all scream at you. Um, so I think much better preparation, fewer changes, but better thought out and better prepared changes are the way forward and actually make the case, get the case out there. So it was really interesting on the national insurance change in the budget that a lot of people valiantly came to the aid of the Treasury. The Resolution Foundation, headed up by a former Ed Miliband advisor, the IFS, we were all out there saying this is a sensible minor change, it makes sense in terms of tax policy, etc. But actually, there'd be nothing done to build the public case for it. And at the same time, in a different part of the forest, the Prime Minister commissioned Matthew Taylor to go off and look at the gig economy. If you were going to do a reform of you know, national insurance or self-employed, you waited till after that report, not do it beforehand. Okay, so rabbits, forests, wood for the trees, I'm hearing. It's metaphor, <laughs> metaphor central here. But some very, very important topics in there. That point about winners and losers, Kevin, isn't there a case that if there is more public debate, what we'll just see is more headlines from those who perceive they're going to lose, whether it's at the start of a strategic change or later on, and we won't get anywhere? What's your view on that? Yeah, I, I, th to be honest with you, that's kind of where I started in my thinking. But where we, in PwC, we started to say, how could you look to the future and start to develop that debate? And we called it a paying for tomorrow a campaign or a campaign for tomorrow. And one of the first things that somebody said to me was, if all you do is go and talk to the same people, the men in suits as they described it, you'll end up with the same answers. You have to engage differently. So we worked with Britain Thinks and actually went out and had citizens juries. So this was a cross section of the public brought together by Britain Thinks. And we spent two days, I think it was, they spent learning about tax, NGOs talking to them, tax professionals, politicians. 
And at the end of that came up with a, a summary of their report. One of the really interesting things that we found was that people don't come at it from self-interest. Once they understand the issues, they will coalesce around what they think is right or wrong. So a good example is inheritance tax. The citizens' jury, all of them thought inheritance tax was a bad tax once they understood it, even though we pointed out none of them would have to pay it. They were all under the threshold. So it showed us that actually people don't just come at it from self-interest. Similarly, when we worked with business um, jury, from the smaller startups right through to the multinationals, they all said they would quite accept a simpler system with fewer reliefs if it made it easier to understand the tax impact of business decisions, even though they admitted that all of them were benefiting from the reliefs. So I think if you engage, take the time to take people with you, they will come to decisions they feel are fair, even if it isn't in their self-interest. Okay, so clear case for better public engagement. There is a case that where it's been tried, it's worked, the pensions example and others, but is it on the agenda of politicians and government at the moment? I think it's really interesting because if you look at the parliamentary arithmetic now, it's very clear the Chancellor is quite badly boxed in. Um, he couldn't sustain the national insurance change when the Conservatives had a majority. The government after the election is now dependent on the DUP. So this is not a time, I think, when the Treasury can embark on major reform, particularly when it can't do the thing that you can do with tax reform, which is you basically ensure no losers and you sort of manage to make your reform when you've got lots of money to go around. The Treasury isn't in that position. Uh, we've just seen the OBR uh, revising down some of the potential forecasts for the budget um, in their fiscal outlook. So. What I think the Treasury should do, and Philip Hammond should do, is actually use the opportunity of the fact that he can't do major reform to start laying the groundwork for actually what do we want the tax system post-Brexit to look like. They're not going to make those changes now, but we can do that. And I think it's a really interesting example. When we did our report on tax policy making, we looked at New Zealand. New Zealand basically spent about 10 years in denial about the effects of the UK joining the common market as then was and losing their big markets. By the mid-1980s, they realised they had to do things differently. One of the things they did differently was realise they had to make tax policy differently. So they actually engaged quite widely, got a bunch of people from outside to develop what they call their generic tax policy process, which is a very different, much more open, much more strategic way of making tax policy. Say that to Treasury officials, say that to people there. They say, well, that's fine. New Zealand's a very small country. It doesn't work here. But actually... I think it's really interesting if we couldn't use this time to build a bit of consensus about, you know, how do we use some of the new freedoms and flexibilities we have, but how actually do we make the simplicity of the British tax system a potential selling point as we want to go forward and compete uh, in a post-Brexit Britain? Well, that's, that's very interesting on the, you know, the attitude to New Zealand or how it could influence UK tax policy. So what's the likelihood in 10 years time we'll be having the same podcast having not moved forward kevin well i i would say it's normally i would say that's very likely but i think brexit brings a different dimension to it i think that means that this theoretical discussion probably has to come into reality and change will have to happen J just on the timeline in 10 years you know one of the things i think we should do is bring tax and pension discussions into the school I think as people are ready to leave out into to employment or further education, just talking to them about what tax is, how their payslip will look, why they need to save for a pension, part of that broader education is vital. And it will take a long time, but it will start to help educate so that people come into employment, move on to, to, to their adult life with some understanding of tax, and that will make the debate much, much easier. 
So that's a, that's a tangible thing we can do with schools. But before we get on to maybe some more practical measures, that aspect came out in some recent polls, that intergenerational divide or difference. Do you see that that would come through in the tax debate as well as we go towards wider public engagement? I think to be fair to, to the government, actually, that was one of the things the government was actually trying to do in the election with its sort of brief foray into how do we pay for social care, what do you do, who should pick up the tab for that. Uh, we're now promised a review of how we fund uh, universities. So I think these issues are sort of starting to come through. Uh, what we don't really have is anything that's looking at these issues together. One of the problems that we have on the tax system is we don't actually think of it as a system. We don't reform it as a system. We sort of knock off individual bits. And actually, as Kevin says, you know, it's quite interesting. You know, one department's response for pensions, pension savings, another one's tax policy on pensions. Um, so I think we have a lot to do to join these things up better. But Michael Gove, when he was talking about Brexit and environmental policy, said that this was, you know, Brexit represented an unfrozen moment where lots of things that we'd been just taking for granted the last 40 years uh, were now up for debate again. So let's slightly less true on tax because the EU has had less of a role, certainly on direct taxation than before. But I think, you know, this is a really good opportunity to say, actually, do we do these things in a sensible way? Chancellor after Chancellor, the other bit is the politics. Chancellor after Chancellor must be looking at what they previously saw was their occasion to make a big political statement and enhance their career and look and say, these things are serially destroying chancellors' careers. You know, is that really the best way of doing things? Just from sheer politics, don't, don't I actually want to implicate a few more of my colleagues in this? Don't I want to actually try and broaden, uh, broaden the support for the measures? You know, is this really working for me anymore? And I'm not sure it is. So some clear clear advice there in own political self-interest, the benefit of the system, get more public engagement going. If I start to bring it down now to some key recommendations from both of you, maybe Kevin, if we start with you, what would your advice be to policymakers now? What would you say focus on these key issues now in priority to others? Well, one thing I would do actually, and I, it, 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 it's, it was not my personal view, but I was I, I supported, um, was came up from a citizen's jury actually, which was that um, if we're going to set long-term policy, the governments of the day have to be held to account. And why not set up an independent body, a bit like the OBR is actually, which holds the government to account to say, are these policies that you're announcing in the budget taking us closer to the roadmap that you've set out or further away and hold it to account? So not setting the policy itself, but actually holding the government to account on that policy. And I think the other thing we need to do, and the Matthew Taylor report was a, a good start, is actually look at the whole area of how we tax employment as employment changes, as the gig economy comes in, people have multiple jobs, not one full-time job. And as I said earlier, you know, 45% of our current tax revenues come from employment taxes. That isn't sustainable. So I think that's a good place to start if we're developing the roadmap. We had a corporate tax roadmap. We actually need a personal tax, employment taxes roadmap. So employment taxes roadmap, some more holding to account. Jill, for and you? I would, to do that, I would set up a series of public reviews of parts of the tax system designed to sort of come together to actually go out, assemble and communicate the evidence base of who actually pays what. Awful lot of misunderstanding. I mean, tax really is you know, the province of a lot of professionals and economists to understand things like who actually really pays things like corporation tax. How the changes in the, uh, in the economy are going to affect that tax base going forward, the things that Kevin was saying at the start, and actually then try and generate a genuine public debate about what are the best ways of uh, collecting tax 
for the future because if we don't collect the tax, we can't have the public services that people want. Jill, Kevin, I'd like to thank you for that lively discussion on tax policy and how we can do it better. Seems like there is certainly a case for change. It looks like change might be in the wind. I'd like to thank everybody for listening today. And for future podcasts, please hit subscribe and the rate and review button. We'd love your comments on these issues as well. And we'll be picking up on some of those topics and recommendations that you heard today in the future of the series. Thank you.